Hello and welcome to episode 175 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Off-Topic Podcast. I'm Mike Solosi, and we're bringing the band back together, as we do for several episodes of this podcast, whenever we do a sequel-ish episode. So joining me today is Greg Delmich. That's me. Hello. And I'm ready to get off the topics. Peter Treisenberg. Fill me with the power of darkness. Only after taking me for dinner. There. I didn't make that compromise. Alright, I don't like this, but I will live with it. And living it with me is Trent Argaroff. <laughs> hello, everyone. <laughs> yep, hello. How are you doing? Uh, I have nothing pithy to say, I'm sorry. That, that got me real good. <laughs> <laughs> I think Peter and I just caused uh, Mike to sum up his entire stance on Kingdom Hearts. Absolutely. Eh, yeah, I, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm lukewarm on it now. When I was disdainful of it at first, you'd know that if you had listened to our Kingdom Hearts episodes from earlier from uh, January. But it, we're not talking about Kingdom Hearts yet today. Although we still might, because this episode is all about battle systems. Again, the same group of four podcasted all about battle systems in December of 2018. But we didn't even make it through. Uh, through halfway of the list that we had for the episode, and also, by coincidence, talked almost exclusively about turn-based combat in that episode. So we mutually agreed to meet again a, a little bit later for a sequel episode, so hence Thirst for Battle S- Systems Part 2, and uh, this episode is going to be focused more on action-oriented combat, ones where maybe you m- navigate menus sometimes, but you don't ma- navigate a menu for every single action. And again, we have another list to work with, and we are going to just basically jump around from panelist to panelist and see where the discussion takes us. Do we have a volunteer to um, pick our first topic? Um, I guess I can go. Peter, search your feelings. You know it to be true. I actually wasn't going to pick Kingdom Hearts, but I guess since you're leading me into it, we can do, uh, yeah, let's talk Kingdom Hearts. Um, (laughs) How about those Keyblades, guys? Uh, Collecting (laughs) Keyblades was about 60% of my motivation for why I wanted to finish Kingdom Hearts 1. I, I wanted to see the next cool keyblade. Key it's a lot of fun, and now in uh, in th- now that three's out, um, um, mm. and the keyblades like actually change your playstyle, so that's pretty cool. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're recording this a few days before Kingdom Hearts three comes out, so we probably can't uh, talk about that game with you know the full level of expertise that we could if uh, Peter you know binges on it for seventy two straight hours. Don't don't tempt me. We are about to get snowed in over here. Oh boy. <laughs> um, but no, so Kingdom Hearts is action combat system. Um, it's very simple, but there it's one of those combat systems that has a lot of technical depth beneath the surface. At least in the later games, um, the original Kingdom Hearts is a pretty straightforward like hack and slash adventure game with kind of floaty, kind of clunky. Um, you have a combat menu that you cycle through to get items, uh, kind of like a traditional RPG menu, but you move around the battlefield in real time, lock onto enemies, and press X a lot to hit things with your giant key. Um, the basics of that don't really change from game to game, but each one, um, each new game in the series brings something new to the table. Kingdom Hearts 2 probably has the most technical combat in the series. Um, the number of abilities that Sora has, varying play styles, um, uh, his drive forms, these little transformations that radically change up how he how he plays and how he moves. More importantly, um, can really affect how you approach certain fights. Do you um, have to do a uh, 
like something similar to the sword staff shield choice at the beginning that affects your playstyle the whole game? You in two, you do make that choice, but it doesn't affect it quite as much. It basically just affects um I think it just affects what you get for the first few level ups, and from there it's pretty okay. it's so, pretty so, standard. so it's not like if you pick staff, you can't do the double keyblade or something. No, um, and Sora will get the forms as he goes through the game. Um, Valor form is the first one. It lets him dual wield and um, is focused on physical attacks. Later on, Sora gets wisdom form, which um, it turn it's it's mainly magic focused and also his turns his main attack into a projectile attack instead of a physical one, and lets you like zoom around the battlefield crazy fast. I think I remember liking that one a lot. Wisdom form yeah, is pretty personal favorite. Wisdom form is pretty dope. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also Master Form, which, um, uh, again, dual-wielding Keyblades, and it's an even blend of magic and uh, and uh, uh, magic and physical attacks. It also gives you the double jump. And um, uh, finally, th- and there's Final Form, which, um, gives, which uh, is Sora's ultimate form. Dual-wielding gives him the gliding and fl- ability so you can fly around the battlefield. Um, some of his most powerful attacks. Um, each form is basically tied to a different mobility option Sora has, which include air dashes, um, dodge rolling, uh, the double jump, high jump, etc. Um, so you're encouraged. But, but, these, to... but these are ones that you activate from a meter or an item or something. It's, you, you don't use one of these at all times. No, um, but once you level up the forms, you get to keep that ability permanently. So basically, how it goes is that you won't have high jump until you level up Valor form once. Um, once you level up Valor Form twice, you get a better high jump. Once you level, and, and so on and so but forth. You, but you can't and, use these forms all the time. You have to. No, um, but but once you level them up once, you get that ability as a permanent equip for base Sora. So oh, okay, you, you get okay. that a movement option. Um, there's actually a, a late game dungeon in uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix that uh, requires you to have the fully leveled up versions of each ability to get through them. Um, it's actually some pretty clever level design, and that's in that game. Uh, and then moving on to later games too, Birth by Sleep introduced this weird system where um, you actually have kind of, you actually get to fuse uh, new attacks, almost like fusing demons in Shin Megami Tensei, where you get different attack options. Like let's say you get your you'll get a, the Strike Raid that lets you throw a Keyblade and a Thunder Command. Combine them together, you'll get Thunder Raid. So you'll throw a Keyblade that has that that's also elect- has electricity on it. Uh, and that can get pretty crazy because you can combine a whole bunch of really powerful abilities. Um, and you actually get them fairly early on in the game. Uh, Birth by Sleep's a really easy game to break if you really want to. Uh, the game, that game also has a slightly different combat menu where um, you're a bit, your special attacks are mapped to the triangle button, but your base attacks are always mapped to X, which cuts down on the hassle of having to cycle through the menu to get to your items and healing spells. So and, and you kind of set up your command abilities in such a way that like you can st- put your abilities into a combo that makes sense to you. Like I'm going to follow up my dash attack with my keyblade uh, toss or something like that. Because that was a lot of fun to play around with. And then finally, up until um, uh, Dream Drop Distance, the most the most recent entry before Kingdom Hearts three, um, they included these environmental attacks called Flow Motion, where uh, Sora and Riku could bounce off walls and and do all this crazy anime anti-gravity stuff. They could chain those seamlessly into their attack combos. So you actually got to use the environment in battle. So yeah, the Kingdom Hearts series has been slowly building up on uh, its roster of mechanics. Each new game kind of brings something to the table. 
I know for a lot of fans, Kingdom Hearts 2 is still kind of the peak just because mm-hmm. there are a lot of technicalities in that in that system that you got to learn, leveling up your forms, what abilities to equip, the spacing of certain attacks. For some of the really hard bosses, you really got to know what your movement options do and how to navigate them. So you say Kingdom Hearts is the only good one. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to go that far, huh? No, no, no. I've, um, I, I, I have heard enough about Kingdom Hearts 2 and how much it improves on the action of Kingdom Hearts 1, which I agree was far too floaty and clumsy, and sometimes it felt like I was fighting the camera or controls for certain boss fights. Then I was, you know, enjoying the gimmicks and action of the boss fights. But it, it there was enough potential there to basically have a someone with RPG abilities and a sword-like weapon and, uh, you know, balance action with menu navigation. And 2 seems to sort of just improve the action enough and give the players enough options and uh, have enough cool stuff for the players to engage in that it seemed... Uh, it seemed that the hype around it was at least somewhat justified, but and um, but you say that would you say that the ones after Kingdom Hearts two, like your uh, three five eight over two days and your birth by sleeps and your dream drop distances of the world, mostly are emulating or following off Kingdom Hearts two, or do they go real weird places like the Chain of Memories card stuff? I, they don't. They don't get quite as weird as the Chain of Memories stuff. Although um, that system's that system's a whole other beast. It's fun, but. Um... I think that they were experimenting with new mechanics and stuff to find to um, make when they eventually got around to making Kingdom Hearts 3. Because if you look at 3, they've taken a lot of the mechanics that people liked from Birth by Sleep and Dream Drop Distance and tweaked them into the Kingdom Hearts 2 combat system. So you still have a more traditional command menu, but um, the action incorporates the environment more. The, some of the systems from Birth by Sleep, like the like shot locks, which are like these timed projectile attacks, um, where you lock onto enemies, and uh, the longer you're able to hold your lo- your lock onto them, the more damage you'll do with the attack. Um, those are coming back, and and uh, so it seems like they're kind of taking they're taking with each game they tried to implement something new mess around with it and now they've refined it and put it all into a blender and the result is kingdom hearts three but two is still i feel like the base the standard from which they were going from for each game absolutely it sounds like a beautiful like banana sundae of the best parts of every single game mixed together i'm really excited to see if it holds up to the complexity and simplicity of kingdom hearts 2 real real excited yeah i know steven i know steven's enjoying it and i'm not jealous not even slightly. <laughs> <laughs> not even not even a bit. But yeah, no, I I uh, thoroughly enjoy Kingdom Hearts, at least to me, is a series where it's, it's simplicity to start with. And I'm specifically talking about uh, uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 and the Final Mix Edition, um, speaking about the Cavern of Remembrance dungeon that you uh, referenced earlier. Yeah. It's, it's simplicity to start with and uh, like depth and mastery uh, to test yourself against like the late game combat challenges. I think like that's a hallmark of a good battle system, especially an action orientated one is that at least in kingdom hearts two, you start with relatively few abilities, but by the end of it, you kind of, as you were saying before, learn the ins and outs of what makes the system tick and you can use it to your advantage. And it's something that I think kingdom hearts specifically exemplifies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it quite a lot. Kingdom Hearts 2 is popular and promising enough to me that even though I didn't love Kingdom Hearts 1 after finally beating it uh, last hmm. month, that I am curious enough about Kingdom Hearts 2 that I've checked prices for the PS4 versions of it. 
So that that's mm-hmm. that's worth something, I guess. So it's, uh, it's worth it. I would I would. Recommend but I, I don't know when that'll happen because my. Uh, <laughs> Especially since I have a podcast to produce, uh, some of my game time is spoken for over the next few months at least. That is fair. Uh, and Greg, you've played some of the Kingdom Hearts games, haven't you? Yeah, two is the only one I have gotten around to, uh, honestly. And I do remember enjoying it. Uh, I do remember there's moments where it overstayed its welcome. Uh, I can't remember mm-hmm. his name. There was a guy that you fight on a bridge who has a bunch of spears, and he was the worst. Zigbar. Yeah, Zigbar. I almost wanted to. That, that almost fight, wanted to stop playing. That and the Demix fight; those are two very famous roadblocks of Kingdom Hearts. Uh, if, if you just if you just make up a nonsense <laughs> name that contains an X, then you have like a forty percent chance of be, yeah. being a boss in Kingdom Hearts too. Uh, yeah, yeah um, I did. They were just they were they're just a joy to play through. Both just so how bright and vibrant they are, even though there's you know a good hour and a half of tutorial uh, and foam bats. But at any rate, it's. The button mashing is what I remember a lot, but it's also super satisfying. So, I don't know, wait, Spear Guy is Zaldin. Never mind. <laughs> damn, we were. Damn. Yeah. Get out of here, yeah. both of you. Whatever. I'm a fake Kingdom Hearts boy confirmed. Absolutely. I'll hand in my card at the door. It's all good. <laughs> fake fans. And I've gotten to see a bit of um, Chain of Memories because we did a This Day in Gaming video of it last time, and I was like, that looks clunky as heck. Chain of Memories is weird because like they remade it on PS2, um, and that mm-hmm. version play is a lot more fun, and that's the version that's included in all the HD collections. Because that one, you still move in a 3D space, but all your attacks are matched to the deck of cards, and because you kind of stack the deck in what order you want them to be, um, and you use your attacks, you either press X to use just the one card you have selected, or you press triangle to take a set of three cards and make a suite out of them. And um, is it essentially like uh, playing War, which like you draw a card and what you get is what happens, and then it cycles yes. through your deck, and do they discard mm-hmm. and are gone, or does it just cycle yes, through exactly. until it comes up? Basically, basically what happens is is that each card has a number assigned to it. That number is the, the power of that card, and your opponent will be playing cards too. Yeah, but um, is this a turn-based system? It moves no, no, it, okay. is a, it is a real-time action system. Uh, yeah, real-time. Yeah. It plays. It actually plays a lot more like the other Kingdom Hearts games than you would imagine at first. Because basically how it goes is that each Keyblade card is a normal attack, like in a Kingdom Hearts game. Um, but if isn't, you press, isn't this one of the ones you told me to skip if I tried to play more games in the series? I think there are a lot of people who don't like who don't like it because it is very because the card system is like kind of it, it's kind of it seems convoluted at first. And it's, yeah. This is the only Kingdom Hearts game where the combat tutorial is literally just a dude being like, "Okay, this is how you do everything." And the story is in a very good manga adaptation, which if you want to skip to the better stuff, I could recommend. Uh, I would recommend reading that instead. But if you're like me and you actually are like kind of an aficionado of of card games and card game battle systems, and mm-hmm. you like and you're and you're a completionist who wants to play every Kingdom Hearts game, God help you. Um, then uh, <laughs> then Chain of Memories is a Chain of Memories. I think is the better of the not, of the not great ones. At the very least, the story is worth playing through. It's probably one of the best stories in that series. It's it's not recoded, so that makes it better. <laughs> Just, just that yeah, makes it, make better. it better by default. Oh god! By default. I think re- yeah, recoded <laughs> is also included in the PS3 Kingdom Hearts thing I have, but I coded yeah. is just uh, coded is just cutscenes. Um, okay, is that the one that was a cell phone game? Yes. yes. Okay, right, all right. And then they remade That's it for awesome. DS, and it's the only one where it's like it's the only one in that series. I would one hundred percent say just skip it. It yeah. is. It, 
Recoded exists to fill in a single plot hole that the audience already knows. The only reason that the only reason that they need to make a whole game out of it is because Sora doesn't know because Sora is stupid. So they need to have this whole game to justify filling in a single plot hole for the this character. And they do so in the most convoluted way possible because Namura. Right. Okay. Namura is yeah. Namura is a is a special boy. All right, he, so he's an interesting storyteller. That's enough about Kingdom Hearts. A very special boy indeed. Uh, do we have another candidate for our next top for our next topic? I'm fine jumping in with probably again one of the RPGs that first got me into the whole RPG thing, which was an action game, uh, which was Secret of Mana, cornerstone I think for a lot of people's collections and memories and everything like that. And for me, it definitely holds a very special place in my heart for. Not only just how it looks, how it sounds, and everything, but just it was. It had a very satisfying system once you understood it. I definitely remember not getting it when I first played and just wailing on rabbites for one damage until I understood, like, oh, we let it charge up and all that sort of stuff, and then how much clunkier that gets as you go. But uh, it's it's got a it's super satisfying bringing in like the radial menus and blasting things with spells and. And it's weird uh, hang time when you get targeted with spells and you feel like it's cheating because you can't dodge anything. All of it just kind of makes this really fun, rewarding experience that still has a really great sense of pacing, despite how kind of cumbersome it sometimes feels. Yeah, having a a sense of pacing with some of the time it takes to charge attacks late game. I yeah. don't agree with that at all. And the and the grind in Secret of Man is weird because you uh you you gain weapon levels as you upgrade weapons and you gain spell level and then you and then use attacks with them and you gain spell levels by using spells more and more often, which is a little interesting, a little Grandia-esque and is fine for a while unless you're trying to level up people with more than one or two weapons, in which case it gets way too cumbersome. But I, that's but accurate. I, but yeah, but but the, but the flow of battle for Secret of Mana is normally pretty good, and the uh, the enemy design and world design and like the tone of it is really a, a little pastel colored, but very very cool. It's a it's a I think a, a strong entry in Square's oeuvre in the '90s. But more interesting to me, I think, is the progression of the battle system through the first four games because i mean secret mm-hmm. of, secret of mana is second like in 2 in, J- yes. in japanese the first game was a game boy rpg which was uh, called final fantasy adventure in the west and that's a little zelda ish a little a little messy it's a uh, it's it's buggy as hell but a, a pretty cool little game boy rpg like i think it's um you know not as good as Oh, I don't know, Link's Awakening, but it's a, a a pretty solid little Game Boy RPG, and then it had a series of disappointing remakes, with Sword of Mana for the GBA, and then Adventure of Mana for I think multiple systems. It was like, mobiles. Yeah, it was. I think it was mobile and Vita, and maybe a couple other things. Yeah, isn't Adventure of Mana like it looks like that Secret of Mana 3D remake too? Like they're in the same style. Ish. It looks really bad. Yeah, it, people didn't like that. And then Secret of Mana's 3D remake, I think, was just last year, even though it sound, it feels like a thousand years ago. Uh, and one thing I was amused by, the mini-map of the, uh, of the 3D Secret of Mana remake is just Secret of Mana being emulated for, a, for the SNES in one, in, a, in one corner of the map. So, so yeah, if, if you squint, you can just place SNES Secret of Mana on, like, one tiny corner of the map in the Secret of Mana remake. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, but the thing about Secret of Mana is, as you gain 
improve your weapons, get more attacks. You, uh, you, ha- as Greg mentioned, you have to pause and wait for your stamina to recover, which takes about a second or two, in order to get to do a full si- a full strength hit again. But you also can charge up your attacks for several seconds to unleash more powerful attacks. The system for that gets too cumbersome when you get to start to get level six, seven, eight attacks. But there's it, a definite management you want to do of yeah. knowing how far to push it and when. And I also really don't recommend teaching every character more than one weapon. You get eight weapon types in the game and three characters, so it's tempting to have everyone master every weapon or se- several weapons. But that then Why the grind. you do that? Then the grind gets too intense. Don't do that. When I was yeah, when I was an eight year old Indian, I tried to, I tried to do that. I, or at least I was. Gross. Yeah, I wanted everyone to master everything they could, but that was a bad idea. Don't don't do that. Like. And even then, like like you're saying, I do agree. Late game, the pacing gets cumbersome. Also, when you're adding in the fact that there's some crucial spells that you might want to try and grind for, but then it's at the end of the game where you're like, well, now I'm just going around fighting Griffin feet or whatever those things are called. But then they got around um, that, and they got rid of most of the stamina stuff in Second Intensive Three, which is secretly the best mana game. Yes. Uh, um, the attacks are slower, so there's more. You can't just mash the the attack button like in uh, Secret of Mana. They'll the characters will pause between every attack, which I guess replaces the stamina thing. And as you attack, you build up a little meter, and when a meter gets to a certain level, you can unleash a, su- a special move. And and also the um the radial menus for items and spells go- come back, and those do work pretty well because they uh, they you don't really you don't cut to a new screen. You you see the action paused. And can uh, and can choose your next action, which is I I think pretty good. It, it's a it's UI that mostly makes sense. But yeah. uh, and also, Second Intensive Three has a class system where uh, as as you move through the game, characters change class, and what class you choose affects what their special attacks and stats and spells are. So I I've played I've said this in other podcasts before, but I, I've played SD Three uh, six or seven times and done different yeah. cl- and did done different class combinations every time. It's not that long a game; it's between fifteen and twenty hours, and. Uh, Really, really enjoy it. It's one of it's one of it's on my, mm-hmm. my short list of favorite games of all time, and and uh, I wish desperately that it had gotten an official la- English language release, but alas, uh, that's that has not been the case. If we gotten that Switch collection, it would have been great. Yeah, that would have been real nice. Uh, and also, SD3 has a bunch of weird bugs. Like two of the stats don't really work as intended, and um, and there's only six stats in the game. <laughs> I wonder if they fixed that in the Switch release. Probably they did not. not. It's probably they did just not. a direct no, port. No, it's, it's a direct yeah. emulation. So, uh, which is unfortunate for. Um, one of the characters uses those two stats uh, liberally, which is a little too bad. <laughs> it, it, I think it's really worth playing if you don't mind jumping through a few hoops to get to it. And then you get Legend of Mana, which is its own weird thing. But I loved it. It's one of my favorites, honestly, in the series. I just, yes, I just... Is that game any good? Because I always wanted to play it because the soundtrack is dope. It's it's weird, but I think it's kind of secretly great. There's a yeah. Th- th- there's a bit of an entry point. Like you will you will be confused for the first few hours. But once you get the idea of like how the placement stuff works and how the story flow works, um, the, the action's competent. I don't think it's meaningfully better than SD three, but uh, no, it's pretty good. It's like it's on more uh, closer to like the beat 'em up kind of ground. Yeah, they kind of still do have like the stamina, and there's a bit of a as a charge bar as well. And the magic system is a bit clunky, unfortunately. But I like kind of how they tried to bring out this aspect where you can kind of target it and it's based on you crafting your own weapons and your own magic mm-hmm. items and stuff yes. like that so it gives you a little more ownership you can name all the stuff which is real fun you can name all the everything that you craft and all the magic spells you make so that's really neat and it's stylistically it's stunning but uh yeah i would agree with you uh, mike that it's not any better than its predecessors it's it's good it's, 
I'm not. I wasn't annoyed by its combat like I was with Secret of Mana at times. But the the thing about it is that the the crafting and spell stuff and and the map design stuff gets real weird and deep. And if you if you don't have a guide to follow, yeah, it, it can be challenging or even a little bit overwhelming. It's it's weird. Yeah, and I was gonna say the really rewarding part of the combat that we didn't touch on is depending on the weapons that you're using your characters um, learn abilities. So you start off with a, a few basic ones. I think it's like a somersault, a jump, uh, like a roll, and something else. But as you apply these in different combinations, your character will learn other abilities. Like if you have the somersault and uh, and the jump equipped, eventually they'll learn like a backflip, I think, or something like that, or like a moon somersault, which you can string into your weapon combos. And then as you equip different weapons, those things will unlock learning specific combos and, and attack attacks that you can use with those weapons, which I thought was very rewarding and really neat to try and figure out how to unlock them. And then you just get these really flashy combo patterns. It feels like that Legend of Mana requires weird specific investment to get to the best skills and combos. And, yeah. and, and it's different than the annoying grind of Secret of Mana or the uh, the class-changing system of SD3, which is which is good but does limit you in some ways. And, and, and also SD3's com- biggest combat variance is that there's six main characters and you choose three of them at the beginning. So uh, you, you basically choose your party and your strategy at the beginning for the whole rest of the game and, you're not, mm-hmm. and you might not even be sure what that entails. Uh, if, you're, in... if, if you're going in cold, but for Legend of Mana, you invest in you invest in your character in other ways, and you get a cycling party of of guest characters. Which, if you do yes. are playing multiplayer, you can still do that, and they take over that character. And then you also have your pets, which is a whole other side system. Like it's got a lot of side systems. Yeah, like, it like has playing. a lot of side systems that are rewarding. But again, the game is weird and confusing. So and, deep. And, and and maybe I recommend playing a guide with that one. Like for SD, I would for SD three, just go on a forum and say, hey, who does what, and you can start the game in 15 minutes but for legend of mana you, should, you might want to do some more reading but uh <laughs> but but the mana games i think the strength of them uh is maybe not the combat more so than the the setting and tone it's it's really beautiful and the it does have a, tra- a fantasy rpg setting but it doesn't feel like any other game and uh, everything after legend we don't need to talk about yeah you don't you don't just love dawn of mana dawn of mana children of mana heroes of mana the uh whatever the fourth I mean, one is that I don't remember. I revisited Children. It's okay, but it's just it gets way too repetitive. They're not. Like, they're, they're, the combat's they're, fun, they're, but it's they're just, just eh. not. They're not great. None of them are. Um, Ch- Children no. of Mana's dungeon. Uh, it's basically a roguelike or a, or a randomized dungeon yeah. crawler. But it's uh, the combat is not interesting enough to justify the bad design of that game. No, and getting bounced around everywhere gets real obnoxious real fast. Because you can mm-hmm. like bounce, you hit somebody, they hit something, and then it, sometimes they'll come back and hit you, and then everyone's just kind of like bouncing off of each other, and it just uh, slows down the pacing, and it's a mess. <laughs> then isn't Heroes of Mana a crappy RTS? Uh, apparently, yes. I believe I I, try, I tested it briefly back when I first bought my Nintendo DS. Uh, mm-hmm. I rented a couple of games from Microplay when that was still around, and that was one of the ones I tried, and I didn't mind it, but it's not great. It tries it? to be an RTS, but it's not a. Uh, it, it's not a good, not a good one. one. I don't think any of the mana games after Legend of Mana are worth playing, but those first four do have their merits. And ah. SD three is my favorite, but they're all good, and they do yeah. have they do have action combat that is always at least serviceable, and some ha- and have sort of different strengths and weaknesses going from game to game. Um, yeah. The the best is though using Kevin in uh, SD three because <laughs> because he turns into a werewolf at night and his attack power doubles. And he's a beast man named Kevin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Legend of Mana is weird and a little overwhelming, mm. but it's super good. And um, and uh, the Yoko Shimomura soundtrack is excellent. It's one of her better ones and more underrated Ooh, ones. Damn, I didn't yeah. know Yoko Shimomura composed. Oh, mm. it's it's amazing. Hiroki Kikuta did the first couple, and I think he did. He didn't do Shadow Hearts. He did Kudelka, not Shadow Hearts. That was yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And he and he was and he was a co-founder of the company that made Shadow Hearts, but I don't think he worked on those games. You know, the, the music in the music of Legend of Mana is is seriously beautiful, and the renditions of it on Shimomura's um, Shimomura's uh, arranged albums, yeah, Dramatica and Memoria both. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm. City of Flickering Destruction is like one of the most beautiful oh. songs I've ever heard. It's yeah, so. so yeah, I know her Dramatica album better, but um, the Legend of Mana has great music. No denying that. <laughs> so, uh, um, Trent, do you have a pick for our next discussion topic? The one that I feel like I have the most experience with is probably, uh, and I'm going to specifically highlight the Nintendo DS version of it, uh, the motion-based combat system of The World Ends With You. Another Tetsu Nomura, I guess, character design gem that was released in 2008 in North America and uh, Oceanic Territories as well. Um, I played this uh, when I was when I was uh, a very very young man, probably probably mid-teens, um, and I remember thinking that uh, the juxtaposition of hardware uh, and and the combat system uh, in this particular title was something to behold. Essentially, and it's called and it gives Tails a ride for its money in terms of its naming of battle systems, oh, but its yeah. battle system is called the the stride cross battle system. Uh, essentially, um, on the Nintendo DS version of this, uh, you play as a young man called Neku uh, that essentially is tasked with uh, with a time load of seven days, and he has to essentially win a game of sorts. Uh, and in this game, you fight enemies called the Noise, which are basically kind of like stylized representation of, of various animals, kangaroos, bears, bats. And essentially the player uh, uses the motion control system uh, of the stylus who uh, essentially execute attacks. Uh, essentially, uh, you can slash uh, across the uh, Nintendo DS screen to, um, I don't know, use a psychic sword. Uh, you can tap it repeatedly to fire uh, projectiles at various enemies. Um, you can uh, draw a circle around and essentially like a, a uh, uh, elemental attack with a fire uh, face. Essentially, uh, entraps the enemy. And I've not seen very many games that and handheld especially fully utilized all of the system's uh, extraneous capabilities. Uh, for some attacks, you can shout into the microphone, and essentially the noise registered on the device will send out uh, damage towards the enemies themselves. Um, and it's, its depth and complexity and simplicity was something of a revelation for me as a, as a, as a young man. That's one half of the battle system controlled by Neku. On the Nintendo DS version, you essentially switch between uh, your various party members that you obtain during the story, and you essentially pass around a, in quotation marks, puck that uh, essentially, uh, when it hits uh, your party member or Neku, you essentially gain a greater damage bonus if you successfully pull off combos. Your party member uh, not doing the same things that Neku does in terms of stylus control, but essentially a mini, ga uh, mini game uh, executed via uh, the D-pad that essentially is, I want to say either a guessing game or simple math and arithmetic. And essentially it forces you to quickly think on your feet. 
uh, to kind of uh, continue passing the puck over and over to gain greater boosts, greater damage numbers, um, and essentially it was frenetic, fast-paced, and one of the most enjoyable experiences that I'd had up until that point. Really creative Sorry. use of the of the Nintendo DS dual screen. When you, the game is basically done in three acts, and in each act you have a different partner for the top screen, and that changes the mm-hmm. flow of battle fundamentally as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh shoot, I only I only remember the second one was called Joshua because he was my he was my favorite. Joshua. He was my favorite of the group, but. Uh, but 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 like mastering that you know that sort of tennis or uh, or passing the puck between the between the top screen and bottom screen and not letting the enemies on either screen overwhelm you is mm. a, a little stressful but a, but a pretty satisfying gameplay flow. It's a, I, I've finished uh, World Ends with you for the first time for the podcast in 2016, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. Might have been 2017. Uh, time, time is a flat circle. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's, it, it's really cool the way they pull it off. And, uh, and I mean, I know it had a recent Switch version. Did, did that not pull it off quite as well? No, uh, sadly. Um, your, uh, how do I put it? The, the touchscreen controls for the Switch version are, I don't want to be down on the game, but it, it's a little lacking in terms of your Joy-Con control for the Switch. I find that, uh, and this is an odd, reference to make, but Skyward Sword for The Legend of Zelda, the motion controls uh, for for uh, that are uh, akin to how I feel about this, where to actually execute commands and, for instance, slashing across the screen with your Joy-Cons, uh, it doesn't have that same kind of tactile sense and, and rewarding feel uh, that kind of enables you to do things, I guess, to an adequate degree to win battles. It does simplify the battle system a little bit in the sense that your partner I personally don't like it, but I understand why they had to change it for the Switch specifically. Your partner is relegated essentially to a uh, a pin because it's not two screens, it's it's one screen now. And essentially you use their abilities as kind of a call-in battle support. Like into oh, another reference, Marvel vs. Capcom in, in terms of the summons. Yeah, yeah, the assists. But in terms of... In terms of its depth and variety, there's kind of a collectible sense uh, to the game in the sense that every single one of uh, Neku's moves is essentially a pin that you equip, uh, like collectible pins that you would put on a bag. And you gain, over the course of it, uh, uh, there's upwards of 200 or 300 in the game itself. Um, And each of them, while not necessarily all unique, uh, using as I stated, like a variety of ways and functions that make them, when you find new pins, uh, kind of a like, delight to collect and uh, also a dovetailing with the themes and kind of the fashion and sense of a contemporary, like mid-2000s Japan. It's a good sense of theme and a good sense of battle. Yeah, it's a very fashionable, it's a very deliberately fashion-heavy game. Fashionable game. It's very stylistic in its, in its interpretations and the battle system uh, definitely lends itself into that as well. If you can find it, it is a fantastic game to play for for the Nintendo DS if you possess the system. But, I mean, I was down on the, the Nintendo Switch remake. It still is perfectly serviceable, and um, it's a fantastic way to kind of experience the story, as it were. Um, but for me, the juxtaposition of hardware, I'm a big fan of of of, of hardware and, and and battle systems being integrated in a way that kind of surprises you. And at the time, in 2008, it was a really, really solid entry into, and, and kind of a revelation into what I thought a action 
RPG battle system could be, essentially. I hadn't experienced much up until that point, so it holds a very uh, special place in my heart, as it were. I still don't understand why they made that remake for Switch instead of 3DS. Because the, because the, yeah. two, the two screens were so important to that game. I know that the 3DS is, is, uh, is on its way out, and uh, people uh, would call it dead or dying. But mm. the two-screen system was so important to what that game did that translating <clears throat> it to a one-screen system is nonsense to me. I don't... I th- Sorry, I think the Switch port is based on the mobile phone version. Um, th- th- that's not a good thing. <laughs> that's not complimenting that this. That would be... No, but no. I mean, it's, I'm saying they, they took that version... The reasoning, that, yeah. Mainly for touch controls. And also for me, at least as far for my money... I I think Twilight was a really fascinating experiment, but I could never finish it on DS because I just had a hard time juggling it. And I feel like the one screen version, yeah, the game loses a lot of personality. I also think it's a lot more playable. Um, yeah, I would not disagree with you in that in that respect. So, the world yeah. ends with you has a frenetic frenetic rhythm. So you get you get the style and the story and the music and all that good stuff without having to. Not that I think the combat in Twilight is bad by any means. I just don't have the the patience or the reflexes for it. Yeah, I was a much younger man. If I tried to play it today, like with the two screens, I'd probably have a a lot more trouble with it. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's my entry on like it's it's up there in my subjective or personal favorites of of, of action RPGs, and I thought it was a yeah, as you say, Peter, a beautiful experiment. Uh, in terms of in terms of what the Nintendo DS could achieve uh, at that point in time, like me in Residents of Fate, is this good? Oh. Not really. Is it interesting and I like it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, 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 that's fair. That's the weird uh, shooting system in that game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's like an action RPG, but it's an action RPG in that everything happens in real time and you have to think on your feet. But it's also turn based in that you have to map out where your character's going to run and then. Basically, you're putting a plan into motion and attempting to execute it, and things can and will go catastrophically wrong. Basically, because you're basically picking a movement path for one character to run down, and they can begin attacking a a targeted enemy while they're running along that path. That takes up their turn. But those enemies are moving and can interrupt whatever it is you're trying to do. So there's this weird balance of like keeping an eye on things and being ready to adapt there's also two kinds of damage you have to juggle in that game where there's temporary scratch damage that decreases over time, but you build a lot of really fast and direct damage, which takes all that accumulated scratch damage and deals it into direct damage. Yeah. That, that's a little bit like the brave, like, H- like the like, brave HP system in Dissidia. But yeah. It's, yeah. It's a lot like that. Actually, yeah. Dissidia. So and, you basically, you build, basically you're building up these big damage numbers and then trying to land a direct hit before they decrease. Hmm. So, like so, it's it's fun. It's clever. It is really, really hard. It, Residents of Fate is a really difficult game. <laughs> it, it seems like a more convoluted version of uh, the la- what the last story did. Where and, and in kind that, of actually, yeah. yeah. And in, in that game, uh, the action takes place in real time, but you can pause it to change character commands and have them do this or or change tactics or reposition themselves. And, and they even use uh, that system for to attempt things like stealth. And uh, in environmental interactions, in a way that's hmm. made some dungeon activity really cool in the last story, and then some boss fights and extended uh, t- an extended 
um, regular battles just miserable. I made that game through that game, I think, slightly underleveled because I was skipping some of the like jump into the void for extra fights, uh, leveling yep. points, and I was and I uh, so I could not beat the final boss. I was. I was uh, when I talked to Josh about it. I was twelve levels less than him. Yeah, that is exactly <laughs> why I stopped playing Resonance of Fate. Yeah, because I, I, <laughs> I rage quit in the final dungeon. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I felt bad because we were playing it for the podcast, and I got to the final boss the night before, and I'm like, sweet, I'll do the final boss, and then I'll do the epilogue thing tomorrow. It'll be great. And I just could not beat that final boss after hitting my head against a wall for at least three hours dealing with it because it's a multi-stage, multi-phase nightmare. But uh, but but it did cool ideas, and when I had. The Resonance of Fate combat explained to me, I think probably by Marcos, he's a big fan of that game, uh, it reminded me of the last story and made me less likely to, <laughs> to seek it out and play it. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's a rewarding game, but it's also very challenging. And even, mm-hmm. and like I said, even I, I, I literally lost my patience with it. But I want to go back to it someday. It, it, but uh, it is unique and interesting. And I have, um, and every time that game comes up, people mention the, the weird pace of the combat. It's it's, it's you kind of get into a weird rhythm with it where you have all these different elements you're trying to juggle all at once. But for for often for me, um, the difference between victory and defeat literally came down to moving my character a centimeter in one direction or another, and then things just sort of happen, and I don't really know what I did to do, did differently. <laughs> So yeah, those are uh, three pretty unique battle systems. The world ends with you, Resonance of Fate, and the last story. With the world ends of you, ends with you being one of the more interesting implementation of the DS's dual screen functionality, uh, right up there with uh, Elite Beat Agents, the you know secretly the best DS game. But uh, that's a that's a different discussion. Um, Elite Elite Beat Agents, secretly the greatest video game ever made. Secretly, yep. maybe. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, how many uh, like how many other video games have you fight a zombie apocalypse with peanuts and uh, set to destiny child survivor none mm-hmm. there no, you go say that mm-hmm. but we're not talking about destiny's child or the uh the terrible gacha game destiny child we are t- going to talk about a whole new topic um tales of destiny's child no just just tales <laughs> just tales of so close so yeah. close how many linear motion battle systems are there, Solosi? Oh boy, I, I want to say about a dozen. I'd have to I'd have to count. But they started out with a linear motion battle system, and the most recent one, Tales of Berseria, is the Liberation linear motion battle system. And they have all kinds of strange uh, adjectives and nouns that they attach to the linear motion battle system uh, description. Time with every, chain. With every, yeah, with every new <laughs> with every new Tales game. But I think um, it's one of the Probably one of the signature action uh, Japanese action RPGs. Uh, the, all the Tales games have you walk around the map with a little avatar character, like many an RPG. But when you encounter an enemy, either with a random encounter in some of the older ones, or with an enemy wandering around the field, like uh, most of the ones from the from the early 2000s onward, uh, it goes into a want to say a 2d plane battle system where you sort of are almost like a fighting game like a 2d fighting game uh fighting the monsters with uh, controlling your character and using special moves but uh some of the later ones from i think uh depends on how 3d you want to say rebirth is but for most of them symphonia onward uh you still fight enemies and move along a 2d plane but uh but it's set in a 3d space and you can sort of chain uh run around like hold down a button to run around the space freely or change targets and change what 2D plane you're on. So for the most part, you're still fighting them like a fighting game, but how 3D the environment is uh, depends on which game you're playing. And it's kind of hard to experience unless you play 
one of them yourself. But in general, each one has at least four or five characters, and each of them has a has their own fighting style, own moves, everything. Some some of the magic characters can really only sit there and cast spells. The uh, fit more physical characters will have more hits and combos. Uh, but in general, you can you press the regular attack button for normal hits, and then you press the B button or the uh, it's the B button in uh, in Symphonia at least for your special moves. And whether you uh, almost like you're playing Super Smash Brothers, whether you hold B neutrally or press forward B, up B or down B, you use a different attack, and you can customize your attacks in the in a menu and decide what spells and what moves are attached to the different B combinations. And later games will have more shortcuts than just B. Uh, B, B forward, B up, B down. Because these uh, each game has several characters, and these cu- combos are completely customizable, th- combat in Tales of games can get pretty intense and pretty varied. And uh, l- if you're like late in the game of, uh, of say, oh, I don't know, Tales of Vesperia, which we're playing for the podcast later this month, a typical combo will be press A four times to get a four-hit combo, and then press neutral B for a basic move, then forward B to chan- channel it into an advanced move, and then uh, hold down R2 to go into over-limit mode, and then ch- and then uh, press B again for to or I think uh, I think it's like I think it's like R1 to to use your Mystic Art chaining them all together. So you can. And then you can even rapidly switch characters to have them start comboing so the combo continues instead of uh, it resetting back to one after the Mystic Art art completes. So if that sounds insane, you're basically right, but also uh, it it is some of the most intense, satisfying, big, flashy anime move finisher uh, uh, kind of combat in basically any action RPG. I think the combat in Tales of Games, when it's really clicking, is awesome. But it can be... Early on the game, when you don't have a lot of options, they can be really awkward, and you'll wonder, like, it's like, man, I thought the combat in this game was supposed to be good. Why? But now I'm just guarding all the time, and uh, it it doesn't really get good until every until your character has at least four special moves, because then you could have one for each but for each basic button, and you have a full party of characters to see how to you know chain moves together and see how intense the combat gets, and maybe one of them will be a healer, so you don't have to worry about healing all the time after uh, during battle. But and also, oh boy, one po- one weakness of the Tales of Battle systems. Uh, for most of them, through, I think through Vesperia, they used TP, which is basically their version of MP. And if you want to use skills every battle, it's really easy to run out of TP without using items all the time. And a regular hit will have you gain one or two TP back, but that does not do much damage when you know a full combo going into a Mystic Art might cost forty or fifty MP. Oh, sorry, TP. And the, but some of the later Tales games, like Graces and Berseria, inst- have a basically custom combos where you start at, like in Tales of Graces, you start out at zero or one or two CP, and landing combos and hitting enemies with their weaknesses gives you more points, and you can sort of spend those points for advanced moves. You don't have permanent magic or skill points that deplete. You sort of build skill points in battle and then can spend them for for all kinds of tricks. And then in Berseria, they don't have those at all. You basically can customize your combo by what's attached to um, like X square triangle circle, and dep- and uh, depending on what position in a four hit combo you're pressing those buttons, all the the attacks can chain together willy nilly. Get the combos in Berseria get weird. And each character has a special move that uh, determines what their what their uh, L2 and R2 buttons do, and it's basically completely changing the strategy for every character. It, it gets, Tales of Battle Systems get wild, but 
like when they're good and you're co- once you get comfortable and have plenty of skills to work with, they're among the most satisfying uh, action RPGs. And I've I haven't played every single Tales game, but I've played at least oh shoot, at least seven or eight, and I've enjoyed all the ones I finished, even Tales of Legendia, which most people would rather forget. So whew, that was a lot of me talking all at once, and I apologize. <laughs> um, uh, what Tales games have you guys uh, tried and experienced? I've only dipped into Fantasia which I would like to get back to because just I think it stylistically looks nice. And the uh, yeah, the, the first original linear battle system, it's the original one, isn't it, in that one? Yeah, that's the first one. It was, uh, yeah. I, hope you're, I hope you're not playing the GBA <clears throat> version because that port is terrible. No, it's uh, yeah, the one I had played was uh, uh, Super Nintendo. Okay, yeah, so yeah, the Super Famicom and the PlayStation and PSP versions are good. Just don't play the GBA version of that thing. Oh, boy. Even, no though, it's the, even though it's the only one that was officially released in English. But I remember the linear battle system being really interesting. It was a bit of an adjustment period to get the idea of it, <laughs> being this whole side-scrolling thing, going from not being a turn-based RPG, all that sort of idea. But once you kind of get the... It's, it feels a little... I remember it feeling a little button-mashy, but I think there are finer points to it that once you understand it, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it, it starts out button-mashy, but once you have more skills, uh, you can... Uh, Fantasia and Tales of Destiny were sort of before you could really go combo heavy in the Tales of games. So in that one, uh, it's more like you're keeping the enemies at bay, so your uh, so your spellcasters can do their thing, and yeah. it's, instead of everyone running around and, and attacking the enemy together. Because uh, Kles, the main character of Fantasia, is really the only melee fighter in that in that game, and the other right. the other uh, five characters are all ranged attackers. It it can be a little button mashy, but again, once you get more skills, it becomes more technical. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? Have you played any of the Tales of? I've played uh, Tales of the Berseria. I played uh, about five to five to seven hours of that over the last three weeks. I want to say, and oh, so it's quite I, recent. I agree with yeah, I, I agree with you, Greg. Uh, in the sense of um, there's a bit of an adjustment period uh, in terms of in terms of uh, executing commands and and the range of stuff that is available to you. Like in the first three hours, it 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 uh, it, it, the, it paces the essentially the so the soul gauge mechanic i i want to get this i want to get this right the soul gauge uh, is basically a consumable uh resource that you use to unleash uh, essentially the main character's demon arm i want to say velvet yeah Uh, um, demon arm um, for basically in that game everyone has a sort of a different special move on r2 and velvet is is uh, unleashing her demon arm and it's basically a strike that when it hits an enemy you absorb their like powers briefly and yeah. your your health starts to rapidly deplete, <laughs> but but once you press R two again after you've snacked on an enemy, you unleash a special attack. And depending mm. on what kind of enemy you snacked on, it's a different special attack. And it, every character has a weird ability on R two like that, and it makes the characters feel different. But it's also like Jesus, what do you mean Rokuro has a completely different thing on R two that makes me lose yeah. that makes me lose combos and lose points if I use it too too often? It's a uh, interesting. Yeah, it, it's interesting. strange. Uh, my my favorite one is Aizen, who's I think I think he's the second to last character you get, uh, mm-hmm. fi- fifth out of six, but or maybe fourth out of six. He has a lot of moves that can stun or knock down the enemy, and his R2 only works if there's a stunned enemy in range, but he turns into a dragon and breathes fire on people. So with him, I I, I customize his combos as much as I can to have as much knockdown and stun as possible, so I can can do his dragon transformation as often as I can. 
and it's it's not as powerful as Velvet's, but it's a uh, it, it's good area damage. But also, it's hard to knock down bosses, so I almost never have Aizen as the lead character for when I'm fighting a boss. It, it, and, and every character has a special skill or a special system that you interact with, similar to the uh, Velvet's arm and Rogro's counters and Aizen's uh, knockdowns. And and that can be super confusing if it's your first Tales game or if you re- or if you uh, you know, don't read the tutorials uh, thoroughly. Which because... is, I mean, I read the tutorials, but for me, it was thoroughly like it was a, a, a decent learning curve, I want to say, in trying to, like, figure out how to string combos together. Oh, yeah. When you get gain access to your to your Mystic Arts, I think it's, uh, I just got access to those, the, the, the big ones, the big special moves that you can yeah, do yeah, and yeah, the bosses yeah. can do. Mystic yeah, arts, the yeah. special moves mm-hmm. too, yeah, Mystic Arts. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I thought it had a really fantastic like ebb and flow, and every single time you get into battle, I mean, I, I haven't played very many of the the other characters. I did not know that they all had their own special moves, like individually mapped to R2. I think that's wild. Um, the the uh, I, I've been mainly been playing with Velva, but uh, her uh, to and fro in terms of attacking different enemies and unleashing different special attacks, it's interesting and it's satisfying uh on on a bone deep level and the rhythm of combat is is fun so at least from my point of view it's tales is good so far i'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this one single tales game that i've played how about you peter have you played a tales game i um i think i mentioned this on other podcasts the only tales game i've played is Exilia, and i have am not fond of that game more more for plot reasons and just uh, Tales is weird for me because it hits a certain middle. It hits a certain point of my anime bullshit tolerance level where I just. Oh no! Can't, ten, uh, Tales games are yeah. anime as hell. Oh man! Like, well, yeah. let's, make, like, let's make up a different bunch of different words for magic and a different ancient civilization that we're getting the Eris or mm-hmm. Era or Blastia from. <laughs> They're completely anime nonsense. And I can get I can get behind that if if I am into a story with the character if I like the characters or the gameplay. See just about every Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts for crying out loud. But uh, but um, only only one of those has good characters though. Fair. You, you haven't met Jesse McCartney. <laughs> Justin McCartney pulls that series to to new heights. Let me tell you. Does he have a costume with a lot of zip with a lot of zippers on it? Yes, he has several costumes wow. with lots of zippers on them. I'm shocked. This is my shocked voice. My problem with Exilia was really that I could not get into um I could not get into the cast. Um it, uh, <laughs> Jude and Milia are terrible except for Milia's awesome hair. <laughs> I, I I get you. Yeah, and once um and once Ivar, uh, Mil- Mila's weird stalker character showed up, I was like, Nope, 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 no 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 nope, nope, I'm done. This is it. I, I can't anymore. Um, Listeners, if you are interested in find out which Tales games have good or bad characters, I recommend you listen to last week's episode about our favorite Tales games, but, um, of which Zillia was not the winner, I will say. <laughs> with 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 Versperia uh, Definitive Edition out now, um, uh, I am curious to get into it. It's because that one I've heard very good things about. Um, Versperia too, just because I think the kind of the, the darker tone, and plus I like um, I like Velvet's design a lot. Uh, or I like the idea of her character more than I like her clothing choices, but whatever. Um, she also has pretty good hair, though. She yeah. does have very good hair. Um, Which is so I'm, I'm, point, I'm perfectly willing to give the series another shot sometime. It's most just, 90s yeah. name ever, though. Yeah, Velvet Crow. It's like she jumped out of a David Eddings book. There are some, there are some <laughs> terrible names in, and amazing names in uh, 
in Tales of games. My personal favorite is probably Chester Barklight from <laughs> Tales of Fantasia. But there's That's a, awesome. Stan Ileron from Tales of Destiny is pretty good. You mentioned a Aizen earlier, and and Tales is not Which, the series I associate Aizen yeah, with. Yeah, I, it's, um, absolutely. I think his name is just Aizen. He might. Be, it's it's not spelled the same way as the Bleach Aizen, but it's. But a, does he, does he turn into a butterfly at one point? No, he is a uh, he is a an elemental spirit and a pi- and a pirate captain who fights with the, and has an evil unlucky coin that curses everyone around him. <laughs> the he, punches, ca- he punches things real good. <laughs> the yeah. characters in Tales of Berseria are extra as hell. They really, they all really yeah. are. That sounds pretty extra. <laughs> but the uh, and he's but, not even he's not even the most extra. Jeez, I mean, I mean, Velvet is as as extra as Tales protagonists get. But uh, yeah, her I mean, play by play in her plot is is extra and very anime in its in its telling. Yeah, a, a full twenty five percent of her dialogue is yelling the name of the person she's trying to murder. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> We're we're gonna have a lot of uh, tales of discussions in the month of February, so it's, we probably have had more than enough already here. So, uh, what's next on our list of uh, of discussion topics? Well, I'm a fan of a little old thing that I was on retro for the first time with you, uh, the Legend of Zelda series. Yeah, Zelda. We had a whole month of Zelda last year in April, and uh... glorious month. Yeah, we we mathematically found out the uh, our favorite Zelda game. We talked about a couple specifically. You want to talk about a system that's had its combat evolve? There, there's the top down ones. There's the uh, third person action ones from Ocarina onwards, and there's whatever the hell Zelda Two is. Yeah, and even then, the evolution between those as well, like the having the top down ones where it all started with here's a sword, go adventure, and you can basically poke things in front of you to going to. Uh, a link to the past where you actually get like a nice sweeping motion so like you don't have to be so strategic i guess in your placement and the additional buttons afforded by the super the nintendo control scheme. yeah yeah I'll, I'll so you, you get more items yeah some more more items that you can use without uh without switching around in a menu and, and that's the- half the fun of it too is finding out what item serves in combat as much as it serves as puzzle solving too right yeah, like interacting with puzzles versus interacting with enemies and how each tool that you find interacts with various things is uh, a highlight of basically every Zelda game. Like some Zelda games I wish had uh, their their suite of items useful in more than one place. <laughs> like, uh, oh, I, I mean, the... The exam- spinner. Yeah, the example, mm-hmm. I the spinner and the ball and chain from Twilight Princess are very crucial to their jun- dungeons and then barely used afterwards, and uh, and how effective they are in combat is uh, is debatable. Every Zelda game has their own set of items, their own set of sort of game goals that you accomplish, and uh, they, they go really interesting places with uh, with the action and combat in every Zelda game. Like uh, the the most recent one, Breath of the Wild, in the starting area, so maybe the first ninety minutes of gameplay or so, you learn uh, three or four important spells, and also you, you get comfortable using your sword and shield and bow. And then your sword, shield, bow, and those handful of spells you learn are most of your special skills the whole game, and it's a big game. And I think what's uh, the best part about Breath of the Wild is the crucial end game goal of just find the next weapon. The discovery of uh, of finding new items and exploring new areas is very powerful in Tales <laughs> in uh, in Breath of the Wild. And it, it's like getting a new weapon or item is cool in every Zelda game, but in Breath of the Wild, it's because your wep- uh, most of your weapons break and and can be lost. You really are excited when you get a new weapon that is as good or better than what you have. I really wish they had 
taken the time to show the durability on it to see yeah. what you're getting into. That would have been made it even just a bit more palatable. Otherwise, I don't hate the system that much, but now that I finally gotten into it this year, but it still can be a little a little frustrating at times. I've really liked Breath of the Wild, and it, I, mm-hmm. after a while, I had reached a, uh, uh, I don't want to say a breaking point, but uh, you know what? I think I'm ready to beat the game now point. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, shoot. How do I put this? Uh, like, There's so much in that game that a- after a while, I, w- I was just ready to move on, and uh, the and. Every Zelda game has a different sort of tool set, and exploring that tool set is part of the fun of every Zelda game. Like, do, do any of you guys have a favorite Zelda item or weapon that uh, that you keep sort of keep going back to? Cause I really me, dig the hookshot. Dude, the double hook shots in a uh, Twilight Princess <laughs> are a great upgrade. Like the double claw shots. Yeah, even better. They have to get him a badass <laughs> name because we we got that teen rating. We got to use it, guys. <laughs> I like uh, how you upgrade nine of the um, weapons in A Link Between Worlds, and when you upgrade the fire rod, it summons a giant column of flame that obliterates everything oh, in its yeah. path. The fire rod is awesome, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the nice fire rod is what it's officially called after you upgrade it. That's a nice fire rod you got there, son. Nice. Be a shame if something would have happened to it. <laughs> but yeah, I've always liked how the hookshot can like freeze things in its place in uh, its game, and then... Of course, the atom mobility sometimes of like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Hit a tree. Bye. <laughs> then in a, in one of the handheld ones, I think it was Oracle of Ages, they replaced the the hook shot with the switch hook with once you hit something, Link switches places with the object, which does not follow the laws of physics. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> and the puzzles That's get real. Really cool. the, the switch hook puzzles can get real weird, but uh, um, the, the puzzles in in those yeah. uh, Game Boy Color games are very fun. So it's a uh, oh, it, it, it's all right. They're so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Oh shoot! What was the one with the gust jar? That's the Minish Cap. It is Minish Cap. Okay, I enjoyed uh, using the gust jar to like blast enemies with air and kind of disorient them and stuff. I liked Phantom Hourglass's version of the rod, the sand rod, where you use the touchscreen mm. to create these little um, columns of sand that were very, very versatile, and had a really cool boss fight attached to them too. Mm, yeah, I was that one was coming back to my brain. I remember making these columns because uh, the ice power that you get in Breath of the Wild made me think of that. You're just kind of shooting up these columns of ice. I just wish they had more of a combat ap- application. I, uh, I'm very basic when it comes to it, since I'm a novice to the franchise at large. I've only played Link's Awakening and Breath of the Wild, but the bomb puzzles, or at least the bomb uh, remote activation in Breath of the Wild for some of the stuff that you could do was enjoyable, to say the least. Coupled with coupled with, with the, the magnetism power, I had a lot of fun kind of just doing silly things around the map, as it were, like launching myself into the stratosphere on a tree trunk and stuff like that. It was... It's fun. Yeah, it... There's some interesting, there's some interesting physics, uh, physics based like 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 freedom there that, that I that I enjoy. I really liked me- uh, messing around with the stasis power and the magnetism power. Like, uh, I don't know, fun. like 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 stasising a boulder, then hitting it with bombs in your sword a bunch of times, and then releasing the stasis and just having it launch forward like good. a like a trebuchet. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> the, the, it's you good get, the, the physics and action can get real weird in that game. I, just watching YouTube videos of people accidentally killing themselves trying to open a heavy door or something. Speaks to um, the versatility of Link's combat throughout the games is the fact that he is in Smash Bros. as well and has a full, a pretty good broad spectrum of all the different skills and abilities mm. that he can use there. Which, fun fact, I played the most recent one, Ultimate, before I got into Breath of the Wild. 
And I think I played as Link in one match, and I was Breath of the Wild Link. So when you mm-hmm. get the bombs, they switch to be remote bombs. And I was just like, why yeah. are my bombs not going off? I don't understand. And I didn't realize I had to trigger it. And oh, I just didn't so understand great. how that fact, so how that yeah, all worked. That, that's also one difference between uh, uh, regular Link and Young Link and Toon Link. So the, you can do a lot of weird bomb tech with uh, with Adult Link, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. I mean, I mean, Smash Ultimate didn't come out that long ago. So are, are you playing Breath of the Wild for the first time like this month or last month? Basically, it started in January. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Because uh, okay. we got our Switch over the holidays, and then by the time we had time to get into it, I got into Battleship Brigade first. And was playing that was that all, pretty it, heavy. It was also a Wii U game, but no one no one likes the Wii U, which is fine. I I, I liked the Wii U. I'm just gonna say it. The Wii no, U was a was I a good disagree with you. Wrong. I I do I agree, but I absolutely forgot that it was the Breath of the Wild was on the Wii U. Whoa. Yeah. I, I, I don't, don't want to sound I don't want to sound like a total hater. Like there are several good Wii U games, but I mean it had about as many sales as the PlayStation Vita. So just take that with, with what you will. It got the Twilight Princess treatment of kind of being released on the last gen, the current gen kind of thing. Yeah, Breath of the Wild did, yes. And it was a, it was almost a launch title for the Switch. It came out like 6 weeks after the Switch did or something. I'm surprised they never released some sort of special edition combo of it, but yeah. Maybe they did later. I don't I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. But uh but yeah, they launched very close together, and uh, mm-hmm. and Breath of the Wild's a, a very special Zelda game, and the action in it gets real. So weird. great. We haven't really talked much about Sword and Shield uh, Zelda stuff though, because I mean that's what a lot of you're dealing with, what you're dealing with is, and uh, yeah, I, and I mean how many final bosses are you know playing ping pong between uh, between Ganon and, and uh, Link? Whether you want to use a bottle or a net or you know <laughs> a fishing rod. Yep. <laughs> But it's true, and especially after Ocarina of Time, where you get the lock-on mechanic that makes combat that much more intense, arguably, uh, where you actually have to... Your your skill becomes a factor, you know? That's the fun thing about action RPGs, I guess, is it doesn't just simply boil down to hitting them for numbers. Uh, your your reaction timing and everything it factors in as well, which we have some other stuff we're going to talk about about that. But you're right, the both using the bow with proper accuracy which is very rewarding, especially when it's like, find the glowing thing on the monster to hit. And then, of course, this using the sword to the same effect. Especially since uh, the 3D Zeldas introduced one of the very uh, first instances of um, third-person combat locking on. Like, locking on to enemies and sort of doing a back-and-forth dance with them when to attack, when to block, was be- became a hallmark of 3D Zelda combat. Yeah. And, uh, and that links into directly what I think you were talking about uh what I think we, what I think you were, you were alluding to, Greg, and that's um, the sort of, oh, I don't know what what I would call this, the, the very deliberate combat of the Soulsborne games. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yes. So, uh, uh, Trent, you've played at least some Dark Souls, right? I I have played Dark Souls one. I have played half of Dark Souls two, and that... I have played. Yeah, and I've played most of Bloodborne. I'm still chipping my way through that, like hey, month on, month off. Yeah, that that counts. So, uh, what do you, what do you think are some, let's say, some of the strengths and weaknesses of Dark Souls combat? I think strengths of of Dark Souls combat uh, is that definitive and and weighted combat in the sense of usually in Souls games, at least uh, I found in Bloodborne and Dark Souls, the idea of a battle and a loss, you dying, is essentially your fault. You can, you know exactly what you did wrong. You can see, for instance, say, for instance, you you uh, dodge out of the way and you're a little bit unlucky uh, and uh, it clips you and you die. You understand exactly what to do to, to kind of mitigate that. And the idea of it is 
those systems are all about animation, uh, uh, pattern-based uh, uh, and recognition-based combat. And it's this interesting back and forth. Uh, and I, I have more experience in Bloodborne, I guess you would say, uh, this interesting back and forth between you as the player understanding what exactly the enemy uh, on the whole is capable of their moveset and kind of predicting and understanding how to block, dodge, or or uh, mitigate that coming towards you. I think those games have a definitive strength in that regard. They're, dis- yes. they're, they're punishing. They're punishing is, is, if you don't is, get is, them. Is, they're punishing if you don't get them, and they're punishing in the sense if you if your reflexes and Bloodborne specifically, Dark Souls, you can mitigate it a little bit, but your reflexes in terms of of how uh, how well you're going to fare in those kinds of games. I, I will say there's another game that dovetails neatly into what Souls represents, but I think is a little bit more, especially with the latest iteration, a little more forgiving, which is stamina-based uh, Monster Hunter and Monster Hunter Worlds. Oh yes, uh, specifically. You want to talk about first mastering yeah. the time of your weapons and then mastering the movements of the uh, of the enemies yes. that's what monster hunter is it's, it's a game of learning of your it's uh, so le- crucial it's learning your equipment and learning the monster and learning the environment and uh when the first time i tried demon souls i had i was already uh, i had already put hundreds of hours into psp monster hunter i mm. uh, i'm like oh this is like monster hunter but in like a gothic setting okay but i didn't get that mm-hmm. deep into it i think i only beat one <laughs> boss that kind of combat, it's very deliberate. You don't you don't charge in ma- uh, and just mash attack buttons. Maybe you mash the dodge button a little bit because there's a lot of roll dodging in, in both Soulsborne and in Monster Hunter. Uh, but, yeah, but, absolutely. But all those games also have a stamina meter where that will punish you if you only block or only dodge. Uh, I, again, I, I think they're similar in that both of those uh, series have canned animations. Like, like once you press an attack button, you're committing to that attack. And it's and it's diff- locked into it. Yeah, yeah it's def- it's difficult to uh, cancel out of it with a roll or or any other action really, and and just like learning your timings and and uh, recognizing enemy patterns is they take that to a whole new level. This isn't just like figuring out where how Spark Mandel jumps jumps in Mega Man X. This is figuring out how like what each tell is for every attack, what attacks can be blocked and which ones you have to dodge, um, whether you can like parry something or sneak in an attack before an enemy pulls off their attack. It's really about mastering those things. And I, I'm not very experienced with Souls games at all. I've, again, I've only played a little bit of Demon Souls, and that is it. But mm. in both Monster Hunter and Soulsborne, it's it's about... Crucial. It, it's about... It's, a, it's about learning your enemies and learning yourself and it, when mm. you when you accomplish a big goal in monster in any of those games but my, i mean monster hunter are the ones i'm more familiar with it is so satisfying because you know yeah, it's dude. you know exactly what you had to do and you know exactly how challenging it was and it feels great especially if you you know finally get that that monster piece you were looking for <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. but uh but yeah like with all of them they're so dependent on skill yeah, there's a re- there's a reason that both of those series have absolutely massive followings and it's because mm-hmm. at a technical level they're very very impressive very cool and at, and because the uh combat while while challenging and having a steep learning curve which is which is better that which is less you know the learning curve of monster hunter is shallower than ever for uh and that's a good thing for monster hunter world uh yeah it, it's a very satisfying action. Mm. Oh boy. 
I'm glad that Rob Steinman isn't on this podcast because he could he, he could pop off about the various souls and and Bloodborne games for the full two hours. I was gonna say, but like, and that listeners is the first time you've ever heard about Dark Souls on a podcast at RPG Fan. Mm-hmm. Invoking the the ghost of Robert Stein. I was gonna yeah. say he's just gonna suddenly appear. Yeah, in pe- the people people wonder what the Invoke dark the what the what the Dark Souls of anything is, guys. It's not complicated. It's Dark Souls. Yeah. Dark Souls is it's the Dark, dark Souls, Souls of Dark Souls. Yep. There, Very debate much so. debate over. The, yeah, the the another side splinter into a different game that is Souls like uh, that I think does some interesting stuff that focuses specifically on things you were talking about, like mastering your stealth and recognizing enemies. Neo is a is a is a really interesting yeah. uh, kind of offshoot on that, and I actually think it does. I mean, this is my personal opinion. The combat system for Neo, I think, has a lot more going on for it than the limited movesets of what Souls games have to provide. And that's not a weakness on Souls' part. It's just there's something... I like it when a game gives you various options uh, uh, and reactivity and mobility uh, to kind of combat uh, various enemies or different ways that it goes about it. In Neo specifically, you have weapon stances that change drastically how each weapon is played. There's a high, medium, and low stance. Uh, and the verticality and the uh, kind of level progression is very much similar to what it uh, represents, but it still harkens into this sense of challenge and reactivity that is... Hmm. Like in Toxifying, as you were saying, the, the thrill of victory is something that uh, it's sweet when you manage to, after 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 times, when you fight a boss that many times and you finally, finally beat it, it's it's thrilling. It's almost exulting in a certain sense. Yeah. And, and that uh, goes from... Oh. When you mess up in one of those games, you know exactly why you died. And, uh, yes. and when you win in one of those games, you know exactly what you pulled off. Both the wins mm-hmm. and the losses feel earned. And I think I, I think I think that adds to, or, or maybe even helps define the satisfaction of uh, of succeeding in one of those games. It's yeah. a, it's an odd pull in genre from like uh, it's the same feeling that you get from perhaps a, a fighting game or or, or that kind of uh, arena. Nah, man, fighting of genre. Game, fighting games can be some BS. No, trust me on this one. <laughs> But you can still know what you did and did did not do wrong. No, I get like, it. Yes, I I, I, under, I understand. In King of Fighters '96, Gurnet summoned <laughs> an instant tornado and comboed me from nothing, even though I was blocking the whole time. Yes, I earned that. It's, F you're you, talking pre, Go and die in 1996. You're talking pre-90s fight games. Yes, they are broken. But recent fighting games, there are there are soft and hard counters to certain things, and Souls has the same kind of. Uh, idea where uh, you understand what you can do and what you can't do and how you can combat and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and it's thrilling all the time at least in my personal perspective and speaking of uh of nia uh, from software looked at team ninja and told them to get get off their lawn because now uh secular is coming out pretty damn good like the verticality of that like with the grappling hook it's it's pretty wild just from yeah. the footage they've been seeing, I've been watching the Game Informer coverage. Just the way the main guy moves is like something mm-hmm. out of like Ninja Scroll or sort of the Stranger mm-hmm. or like, uh, it's like every everything I wanted. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who got the memo that we were supposed to have a bunch of samurai action games in 2019 and 2020, but we between yeah, between Neo Two and Onimusha freaking coming back and Sekiro mm-hmm. and Ghosts of Tsushima, Tsushima, it, yeah, it, it's like oh man, we're just we're it's the year of the samurai, I guess. This that that's I'm okay cool. with all. I'm okay like, with it. I like samurai. 100%. Yeah, me too, man. I uh, yeah, I agree. Sekiro looks looks 
interesting in the ways that the Souls games uh, are not uh, uh, in terms of yeah, verticality and progression. Um, also, you can uh, strap different weapons onto your prosthetic arm, and that's wild. You can have like a gigantic axe, you can have a machine gun of shurikens, you can have a flamethrower. All of those things are just aesthetically wild. You had yeah. me at machine gun of shurikens. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining yeah. the Sekiro main character and uh, Nero with his robotic arm in Devil May Cry 5 having an extremely epic mecha yeah. fist bump. That would be awesome. Um, I'm very, very keen about that. I'm very keen for that game as well, though that's a different battle system and not yeah, necessarily. Well, I, I don't know how many. I don't know how many of these games that we're going to cover here at RPG Fan, but uh, I am I am in favor of uh, robot arms and and a samurai action. I'll, Nero I'll can pull record. my devil trigger anytime. <laughs> me, me, I 150% agree. To, to cap, it's it's they're fun and they you recognize exactly. Well, fun is a you know fun is subjective, but you you recognize what you do and what you do wrong. And I actually think Monster Hunter World, in my opinion, does it a bit better in the sense of like it specifically tells you uh, exactly what you do and what you can do. And when you feed, when you beat something, it feels momentous. It feels amazing, like you've just I don't know killed a gigantic frog lizard chameleon it's 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 wild it's a, it's a good fun yeah um the souls games and monster hunter games that also tremendous examples of very highly technical sometimes challenging but ultimately very satisfying rpg combat i think we have enough room for one more topic before we got to shut the door what do we want on this list to take care of xenoblade yeah. weird mmo thing yeah. <laughs> it's good like, but complicated it's yeah. like you have a real time combat system with an mmo action bar on the bottom of the screen and attacks are based on MMO-like concepts like drawing aggro and positioning mm. and, and, and it somehow and works. And managing cooldowns and, uh, and loading, uh, not really loading, and uh, piling stats on top of each other so you yeah. go from, uh, what is it? Uh, shoot, it's been a long time. Is it, is it like days to topple to, to stun? I'm probably, I'm probably that sounds right, yeah. I'm probably, yeah. Skipping, I'm probably skipping Or days step. to stun to stoppled? The Xenoblade games and each character feels extremely dim- different in Xenoblade and Xenoblade mm-hmm. Two, so you have to uh, and, and managing their unique skills, with some characters being obvious tanks and some characters being obvious support uh, or or DPS is a, is really interesting to deal with. Um, the East series, which I have a lot of affection for, has had basically three phases of action combat. In the first couple East games, you just damage enemies by walking into them. If you walked into them at an angle, that dealt good damage. If you walked into them directly, you dealt damage to each other. And if the enemy walked into you from the side or rear, they did damage to you. And that was real weird managing that, especially for boss fights. And then in a, uh, for uh, some of the 2000s East games, you play them almost like a Zelda game, where it's just uh, one character acting solo, and they have spells and skills and, atta- and, uh, and jumps and, and actions. And then from... Uh, East 7 for the PSP onwards, they've been basically like Secret of Mana games. You're, you're managing a, th- a trio of characters that have specific skills and, uh, and, um, and like customizing your party and switching between characters strategically is a, a big part of the action there. And I, I don't know which of those I like the best. It's definitely not the lawnmower or sumo wrestling of the, of the first couple. But uh, all of the East games are pretty intense action RPGs with their own sets of strengths and weaknesses. Although you mentioned Legend of Zelda, we didn't talk about Dark Cloud, but that definitely is in there as a fun action game too. But it's basically Zelda, just a little clunkier. Well, Dark Cloud, like let, city building. Let, let's get real. Dark Cloud Two is about building houses and playing golf and fishing. And I don't hate any part of it. This the speedo golf mini game in Dark Cloud Two is a, is an all timer, but uh, but the action is pretty is at least competent in Dark Cloud One and Two. 
And then just, level five went on to make their uh, to make oh shoot uh, Rogue Galaxy, which felt a little like Dark Cloud two, but you're but you're a bunch of action pirates, which is a game that I feel like I like I should like more than I do. <laughs> there, it, like it, uh, it it's a little clumsy. The story isn't great, but the character designs are cool, and the action is mostly pretty good. It's just I I don't know. I think I had higher expectations for that game. Let's see. Xenoblade for a second. I meant to jump in on is when I first at first glance I thought it was going to be more Final Fantasy XII. So it was very much it's oh a, no, this is a very different system to understand. It's a little Final Fantasy XII, and there's no there's certainly no auto attacking in Xenoblade. You are you your characters do sort of attack enemies in range on their own when you're not selecting a True. command. And and it's a, but it's more about positioning than Final. It's almost an evolution of FF12. There's a yeah. There, there's a less fancy. Like summoning and magic, but more positioning, more sort of bespoke moves for each of your characters. The characters are way more unique in how they play in Xenoblade than uh, than FF12, where mm-hmm. characters can not be the same exactly, but are are uh, have a mostly shared move set. I would say. And how about that slick action combat in the Rune Factory series? Am I right? Moving on. <laughs> exactly. That sums it up really nicely. Uh, Valkyrie Chronicles. We just did it this day in gaming on that too, and that game looks so rad. And I'm so sad I haven't played it yet. There's four and a half Valkyrie Valkyria Chronicles games, depending on how much respect you want to give towards Valkyria Revolution. But none not whatsoever. Not much. <laughs> I mean, you, very you, little. You deploy and position your your characters like a strategy game, but when a character has a turn, they it, it briefly becomes an action game, and you're you know aiming and sh- aiming like a third person shooter, walking around like an like a, an action RPG. And uh, but when during these characters' turns, that you can experience cover fire and uh, and hazards and all kinds of things. Uh, so you have to be extremely careful to, just to you know don't summon one of your scouts and have them walk across a battlefield in sight of an of an enemy tank. That'll go extremely poorly. Yeah, and um, this could have been what like Fallout could have evolved into instead of what it became. I feel uh, like that would have felt really good. Uh, maybe, but Fallout isn't really about managing a large team. Oh, that's true. That's well, and, and, uh, it, they, the original Chronicles ones they were, are, but not the recent ones. In Valkyria Chronicles, you're managing an army of like thirty, forty units. Uh, that's accurate. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very different. But that's true. It's 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 a very it's a unique combination of uh, of action and strategy gameplay that uh, is weird at first, but once you get used to it, is um, pretty excellent. And uh, there's a couple early walls like everyone hates the. Uh, the first Fog of War map and the map where uh, Sylvaria appears for the first time and can murder your three people in one turn. But, uh... Yeah, yeah, people that um, know the, the, the Sylvaria tank map, which is, I think, only the fifth or sixth fight or something, people know what I'm, it's, what I'm talking about. Yep, it's a, it's a bit of a difficulty spike. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a big one. Yeah. But, like, once you get over a couple humps and sort of figure things out, Valkyria Chronicles is really awesome. I've only played the first mm-hmm. one. Uh, and, and uh, one of then the next two were on PSP, and then Valkyria Chronicles Four was a uh, was late 2018. Um, and is and is I've heard mostly similar to the first one, but uh, the first one's great, and uh, the the others are at least interesting, or at least seem interesting to me. But uh, that game is very recommended if you're if action sniping strategy seems appealing. It seems to have like a bit of like a. It brings you back to worms, and I don't know if anyone ever played on the PlayStation Hog of War. Yeah. Hogs of War. It's got that oh. bit of a vibe to it, a bit of this, the strategy, and still lining up your shots. Does wind and all that stuff come into play in the strategy? Sometimes, yes. Wind mm. and like sometimes your characters will have allergies, and they'll they're uh, they're uh, in areas that are very green. They'll have worse aiming. 
it, it, worms is not a bad comparison, but like imagine if every other worm had a machine gun and were shooting at you when you were taking your turn. That would be so stressful. Yeah, you, you can't you can't <laughs> just, you can't walk up to an enemy soldier that can see you on your turn. It's like they're always on um, Overwatch. So it's, like, it's like they're always on alert, and but they yeah. have but they have weapons with specific range and specific lines of sight that you have to take into account. Yeah, it's pretty slick. I like that. I want to try that game. It is good. And it had a recent-ish remake, maybe 2017, mm-hmm. I think. Maybe. I think that's the one I picked up on Steam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Steam and PS4, and maybe also, maybe also Switch. Or am I hallucinating? Am I think uh, no, it, maybe it's, it's it just dropped. It's didn't on it? Switch. Yeah, okay, it yeah, came so... out quite recently, about a month ago. Oh yeah, wow, okay, that, that's a more recent than I thought. I thought it was. I thought it was like over a year ago. But anyway, you can you can get that game on multiple systems now, and it is. I only played the PS3 first one, but it was very very good. And let's see. Oh yeah, shoot! No. We like we haven't said the the M word yet. Metrovania. That's no, a kind, that, that's a kind of that's a kind of action RPG that I'm sure we've all played a lot of. Uh, and Time Spinner got a lot of love Time over Spinner the uh, games a, of the year. Yeah, Time Spinner is a very good one of those that everyone says uh, cribs um, liberally from Castlevania Symphony of the Night, but people say that in a in an accepting way and not in a mocking way. <laughs> in a in a thank you for more of this kind of way. Yeah, and it, it, it's well, good. I don't know if it's thank you for more of this because there is so much of it. Like it, it it is a as a genre like Castle uh, Metrovania games are a bit of an indie darling. A lot of different ca- uh, Metroid and Castlevania mimicry has happened in the indie scene the past four or five years, and yes. s- and, and some are better than others. Uh, Time Spinner is one of the very good ones, and then you have I mean you have the good Castlevania games like your Symphonies of the Night and mm-hmm. Arias of Sorrow of the World. You had Moonlighter this past year, which was kind of a blend between Metroidvania and Legend of Zelda, but it was still very good action combat and procedurally generated dungeons and puzzle solving and such. And yeah, while we're talking about 2018 indie games, CrossCode was a very popular yeah. uh, uh, Secret of Mana-ish RPG that uh, everyone said aesthetically was similar to Fantasy Star, which is a, a, mm-hmm. a game a lot of people care about. Yeah, you can find all kinds of, <laughs> of, a, of, a, of weird, cool action RPGs in the indie space. Uh, Time Spinner is one that I have not played, but... We've already talked about it a little bit, but I'm really keen on. I like as, the Ditto. second it goes down to, I don't know, twelve dollars on PSN. I'm going to jump on it. Come, time that's gonna come recommended from me. Uh, it's a it's a very good game with a fantastic soundtrack. And for yes. someone who hasn't played very many Metrovanias, it's a it's a good time. It's very fun. I used a song from the soundtrack <sighs> for our, our uh, 2018 year in review episode, and because I was looking for. Uh, maybe games that I'd underused the music from, and uh, and uh, so I I did a little bit of a YouTube safari on the Time Spinner soundtrack. It's like, oh, this is this is great. Okay, th- this is definitely making the episode. Nice. And uh, you were talking about Rogue Legacy, Greg? Yeah, it's probably the one I've the the Rogue like I've played the most out of any of these. The most uh, the most Metroidvania game I've played out of any of these, and well, I still have only like really not, tackled the first boss. Well, it's not really a, a Metroidvania. It's it's it is a we we did cover it. But it's a, it really toes the line between uh, roguelike and Metroidvania because it is about multiple runs and it does have a it is a randomized setting and not a, an explored setting. That's fair. Um, but uh, we we did cover it. I think I think basically because uh, some people in 2013 or 2012, whenever that came out, wanted to cover it. And uh, but I think it, it occupies a space more like uh, more like Dead Cells than like a Castlevania game. Well, anyway, oh boy, we just we just did a speed round of a bunch of a bunch of the games on on this list, um, and I have one last thing I want to ask you guys before we sign off. Totally, uh, we've talked about a lot of action RPGs. Uh, just personally, from each of you, if you could recommend one game, 
based more on its battle, on its action combat, more so than setting or story, even though those are very important things. Like, what is your favorite action combat system we've discussed in today's episode? Whoever wants to volunteer, go first. Um, I will always recommend the uh, Kingdom Hearts series. I think they're they're fun. It's fun. It's flashy. Um, there's there's a lot of challenging extra content to dive into. Um, just really really solid action combat game. You can you can't, can't go wrong. All right, mm-hmm. uh, Trent or Greg. I'll uh, I'll jump in. As much as I love the Souls series, as much as I love Monster Hunter, at least the latest iteration, um, we talked about it briefly in the speed round, but I really do love Valkyria Chronicles a lot. Um, it is like this perfect blend of, of of strategy and action RPG, like chess, as well as, as well as some fun and interesting story and character development that goes some interesting places. It really simulates, at least to me, in some part, uh, a little bit of what I imagine it feels like to be a commander on a battlefield, and I thoroughly uh, enjoy that. I would give it a play if you haven't. It also has some sick dogs and or characters. There there are roadblocks in that game, but uh, it comes recommended for me as well. Just just push through them. It's good, I swear. Just push through that, that level. That even one if level, you gotta, even if you got to check a guide or something, I get it. It sucks, <laughs> but trust us on this one. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good game, and it goes some interesting places. And it did have two episodes of Retro Encounter in 2016 that were very entertaining to follow. Uh, so, Greg, what's your pick for the uh, um, your prefer your favorite action combat system we've talked about today? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's tough because yeah, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of other games that have a lot of merits. That as a whole, the game itself is great. But as far as really fun, rewarding combat systems go, I think I'd actually lean into Xenoblade Chronicles because uh, again, when you get it right and you understand how to maximize all your different abilities and party positioning, it's very satisfying to really get the battle flowing and just knocking enemies down left, right, and center and compounding on their status effects and everything like that and just really taking everything to task is just super neat. And it's flashy the whole time it's doing it. And then on top of that, it's like a bit of a hybrid of action and turn base in enough that you, for people who don't want the intensity of like immediacy, like in Legend of Zelda or like Dark Souls or something, it lets you have at least a little bit of thinking time. The, the different character abilities in that game are so crazy because uh, like Shulk can look into the future and predict enemy attacks and completely erase them if you counter them the right way. And he also is yeah. just a, a high damage character in general. Uh, my favorite character using that game was Dunban, who was uh, who fights with a kata- with a large katana. And uh, but his you can boost his evasion so much that he becomes like an, an evasion tank, where he draws in a ton of enemies at once and deals constant damage to them, and they uh, without taking any himself. And then you have what, what's her name? Uh, the the the, ma- the magic girl who's uh, who's half yeah yeah Melia <laughs> is um like she, her combat is completely different from anyone else. She she has like uh, four or five different elementals that she summons and you if you stack the elemental spirits you summon together you can sort of spend you can like build them and then spend them for super elemental attacks and if you and uh, the computer does not know how to use her at all but if you control her she can deal she can deal more damage than anyone else and also heal your party better than anyone else at the same time and it's so satisfying when yeah you get all those things paying off yeah, I, I like using Melia, but I never have her in the party unless I'm controlling her because the computer is just a complete disaster with her. But Accurate. Uh, yeah, yeah, Xenoblade's combat goes really interesting places, especially when you put party customization and uh, and all the other options at your disposal into play. Mm-hmm. And shoot, I guess if it's my turn, uh, Monster Hunter World's good. I 
I played that <laughs> I played that thing for over 200 hours in just a few in the first few months of it coming out. And it's, do uh, go on. <laughs> and it's getting a it's getting a big expansion later this year uh, called Iceborne that is probably going to be yeah. what drags me back into it. But because I have been I've been off the Monster Hunter train for a while, but that's mostly because of podcasts and other games, and not because I don't love Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter World is super good, and there are few things more satisfying than a big group hunt that uh, goes down to the wire and uh, yeah, go out and kill those great Jagrasses and cool Vataroths and. Camellioses and other nonsense words that are dinosaurs or dragons. Uh, is it is it time for me to read off some of these uh, some of these oh tales boy. battle systems? Because oh boy, we, we oh talked boy. about them. We talked about them a little bit. There's let's see, the linear motion battle system is how it started. But Peter, how did they continue? They continue into such things as the enhanced linear motion battle system. Makes sense. The progressive linear motion battle system seems redundant, but okay. The aggressive linear motion battle system, easy there. Oh the condens- condensed linear motion battle system. Sure. The trust, the trust in tactical linear motion battle system. I do not trust the mul- that. The multi-line linear motion battle system. The three-line motion linear motion battle system. That's the oh, same thing. thing no, 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 no. no. <laughs> three-line is Tales of Rebirth, and that one plays like a weird Fatal Fury game from 1992. The crossover linear motion battle system. The flex range linear motion battle system. The aerial <laughs> linear motion flex battle range system. Oh no, God. no, flex, the... ra- flex range means you can free run when you hold L- hold L2, and that was a freaking game changer. And then there's the evolved flex range linear motion battle system, the style shift linear motion battle system, the dual raid linear motion battle system, and my my personal favorite, the fusionic chain linear motion battle system. (laughs) I like how they're just at the end of them all. They're just like, let's just make up our own words. Because they've been using real stuff up until that point. For about half of those, I knew which game it was. I said it on uh, the first podcast, but a uh, Fusionic Chain sounds like a Yu-Gi-Oh card. Like I, acti- I activate Fusionic Chain to summon Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon. I'm pretty sure that one is Tales of Zestiria, which you in which you yeah you, you literally fuse with your party members to create super elemental versions of the main character. That is Tales of Zesty Sauce. Yeah. yeah. I haven't I haven't played that one, but I'm aware of the fusionic nature of it, you could say. Well, anyway, speaking of Tales games, next week we are doing two episodes in a row, so the next two weeks, I should say, of Tales of Vesperia, one of the good ones when it comes to Tales games. Um, I, uh, I'm early-ish into that, uh, so I need to play some catch-up before, so I can get to the discussion break point. And then following Tales of Vesperia, in March we are playing Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinistrals, which is a super, super good Super Nintendo RPG. I think I'm going to be taking a break on that one, because I've been on too many episodes in a row. But that game is great, and I'm looking forward to hear the discussion on it. Uh, listeners, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do so is email retro at rpgfan.com We read everything that is directed to us. You can also go to the RPG fan.com boards visit us on facebook instagram discord twitch probably other stuff and you can find all the links to those from the front page rpgfan.com there are also two other fine podcasts on rpg fan random encounter and rhythm encounter uh, and so please listen to those and uh, and uh, give appropriate feedback for them as well and uh, review us on itunes google play or however you're listening to us we love all the feedback we can stand so let's go to the end of our individual internet presences. Greg, how can listeners find you? 
How can they find me? Well, outside of RPGFan.com, you can find me as at Greg Delmage on the Twitterverse and also on Instagram. And I'm at GDelmy on Discord. And Trent, your turn. Uh, I'm on Twitter at at A-R-K-O-D-O-17. Arcodo17. And Peter, your turn. As always, you can find me at I Have Fury on Twitter, or um, if you want to email me, PeterT at RBGFan.com. And Salosi, your turn. Well, I'm at The Real Monsoon on Twitter most of the time, and also at Evoker for Dogs sometimes. I am, at, I am Monsoon Mike on Discord and Monsoon on the forums. Thanks, Salosi. Now, uh, listeners, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we have talked about battle systems so much in December and, fe- and February of, uh, of 2018 and 2019, respectively. But I think we did a pretty good job. We, we covered a lot of ground, boys. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Pat on the back for all of us. Wide, a wide array of battle systems. And there's probably still more stuff we could talk about, but hey. Yeah. Wide array We're... linear motion battle system? Hmm. <laughs> don't give, don't give the don't, don't Bamco give ideas. Bamco and Square Enix are in a competition for most absurd combat system names because <sighs> I, I must I remind you that 15s is called the Dimension Cross battle system. <laughs> I didn't even know they had a name and I'm glad they never gave it that name in the game. Listeners, thank you. Good night.